Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. We, uh, as Wes mentioned, we're week two into this series which is really the heart and the core of our where we're at this ministry season, chasing humility, but we're locked in on our Lord and His teaching, but also His life that really models what this all looks like. And there are moments in life when it just gets hard, gets um, frustrating, discombobulating, and I have the, the thought, I just need, a, I need a, a few minutes with the Lord, so a word from Jesus, a time with Him, and you just get away and just look at him again, focus on him, and I, I picture that being what this series is really um, about, is just locking in on him again. But today we, we start a, we're in Matthew again, but we're in a portion of it that the, the image that just keeps coming to my mind is one of the rituals of spring that, that we have around our house, and it's the day that we uh, pull out the power washer, and we just go to power washing off all the the uh, grime and grit of the winter and we just we're power washing everything that that we can just that, that comes into the way of that washer the the sidewalks the gutters the fence the 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 car the bikes the garage floor whatever else needs power wash and it feels so good just to with that high powered water heat um get things clean well the text that we're looking at today is is like a power wash for the soul it's truth with some some force behind it. And so before we get into it, and we'll be in this text for a, a couple weeks, I thought it would be good to just lay, again, a foundation of, of reminding us of grace. And it, when we go to truths like this, it's really important that we remember our relationship with God is not dependent upon our performance. And we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That, that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? It's not what we do. It's not our how well we're performing this day. We stand in the righteousness of Christ alone through faith. And that's where our approval comes from. And we live in that place. Meaning, there is nothing you can do today to make God love you any more or less than He does right now. <laughs> that's comforting. I, I often find before God does a, a pretty serious re- remodel work in my heart, he precedes it with a, a reminder of his love. It's like, John, I love you so much, but I'm going to show you a little bit of a sin area in your life that, that I'm going to take a hammer to it, and it, it's going to hurt. And so just to remind you of that and, and to rest in that today is important. So our text is Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 12. So as Matthew writes his gospel... Five times he records a message from Jesus. This is the last one. And what's interesting about this one, or surprising, is who it's aimed at. This is a message aimed at those who you would think do not need a message. It's the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the group in this day that you were, you respected, you looked up to, you wanted to be like them, and you were happy if your kid, you know, grew up to be a, a scribe or a Pharisee. They, uh... No, we, we, Pharisee has become somewhat of a, a negative term today, but in this day, these were good people. These were middle class, 
all-in followers of Jesus, those who had devoted themselves to helping others follow him, and specifically understanding the word of God. They brought the word of God from the uh, religious elite, put it into the hands of, of the everyday uh, follower of God. And so, and they, they actually were so committed to God that they did not just want to do what he said in his word. They wanted to create fences around the commands of God so that people wouldn't trip into disobedience. So that's how committed they were. They were the guardians of God, if you were, and the way of God, and helping others in that. So here's the question that is uh, troubling. What happened to them? How do these fully devoted followers of God miss him when he shows up in person on earth? And not only do they miss him and like didn't see him or ignore him, they oppose him to the point of killing him. And these are the most committed. These are the ones that we would look to as leaders and they miss God when he shows up. And it's like, how did they get there? It raises the bigger question for us today, and it's the question, could this happen to us? Is this, whatever happened to them, could this possibly happen to us as well? And if the answer is yes, how do we avoid that? It's the question, that's the question that our Lord answers in in our text today. And so what we'll discover as we work through our text are two, the Lord gives us two symptoms that were going on in the hearts of these, these leaders one diagnosis, and then a treatment that leads to health. So two symptoms, a diagnosis, and a treatment. So we'll start out there in verse 1 of chapter 23 of Matthew, where we'll, we'll discover the first symptom. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law, or the scribes, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so that you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. So what they mean by that is that, and there was, uh, archaeologists have actually found in the synagogues, there was a seat where, they called it Moses' seat, where you would sit to teach, and you would teach the law. But what Jesus is saying is, he's affirming the authority of Scripture and saying, do what they're teaching you. The, the Word of God must be followed. But here it comes. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And so the first symptom that it's something's wrong is selective obedience. You're not practicing what you preach. If you're the Pharisees on this day and you hear Jesus say this, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the look on their faces like, okay, where is this going? He's saying, do, do what they say, but don't do what they do because they're hypocrites in essence. They're not, they're not doing what they're telling you guys to do. How does this happen? Selective obedience. Think about in this culture for them, but in our own lives as well. My guess is it was not intentional. These, these, the, this leadership group, they're, they've given their lives to following God, to doing what's right, to trying to, to help people. But we do tend to lean into our preferences and our strengths, don't we? We, we tend to focus on those things that we value, those things that we see, uh, consider important, those things that might sync up with our personality or in culture we're always reacting to something and so, you know, we need to correct over here and we, we aim at the correction and, and in that it is possible to begin to ignore the whole of Scripture. 
I love what uh, Larry Osborne in his book, Accidental Pharisee, writes. This is a, a book that uh, just came out. My dad, who's uh, got over 50 years of, of ministry experience, pastoral work, and et cetera, loves the church. He uh, said, this is a book every Christian needs to read. Just read it. So when my dad says that, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get that book. Um, first chapter, I love the way Larry, I think, this, um, is right on as he describes this. He says, let's be honest. Passionate faith can have a dark side, a really dark side. Just ask Jesus. When he showed up as God in flesh, those who thought themselves as God's biggest fans and defenders wanted nothing to do with him. They tried to shut him up, but when they couldn't, they had him killed. That's obviously passion gone bad, but the ancient Pharisees aren't the only example of the dark side of overzealous faith. Our history books are filled with other examples. Think of the, the Crusades or the Inquisition for, for starters. But that's not why I've written this book. It's not about the ancient Pharisees. It's about the accidental Pharisees. People like you and me who despite the best intentions and, and a desire to honor God unwittingly end up pursuing an overzealous model of faith that sabotages the work of the Lord we think we're serving. The problem is not spiritual zeal. It's a good thing to be fired up for the Lord. What we're, uh, and we're called to be zealous for the Lord. The problem is unaligned spiritual passion, a zeal for the Lord that fails to line up with the totality of Scripture. Does that make sense? So it's focusing on one area, ignoring another. So example, you've, you've probably known a jerk for Jesus. Someone who thought they were advancing the kingdom of God when in reality, they were simply embarrassing the king. I think of a man in our church who sees himself as mature, front-of-the-line front Christian. He's passionate about the scriptures, loves to study, digs deep. He knows far more than most, so he's taken it upon himself to become a spiritual watch, watchdog to protect the rest of us. He barks at and then attacks anyone who misspeaks or uh, misuses or misunderstands the Bible. He thinks he's helping out Jesus by keeping the heretics out, but all he's really doing is scaring people. The problem is that God never asked us to be a pit bull for right doctrine. God does ask him and all of us to contend for the faith, but he asks us to do so in a manner that's exactly opposite the way my pit bull friend defends the gospel. We're supposed to avoid quarreling, to be kind and gentle, gently instructing people who oppose us. My friend's pit bull methodology illustrates the biggest problem with overzealous faith and the reason it's so hard to self-diagnose. It's almost always true to Scripture, but it's not true to all of Scripture. It's partially right. It fixates on one area of God's will, for instance, defending the faith while ignoring other parts of the will, doing so like Christ, gently and kindly. The second symptom we see here that's going on in the hearts of these, this group is found in verse 4. Jesus says, They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. And so the second symptom is oppressive leadership. Jesus is saying, You're hurting the very people that you should be serving. It's like, okay, what, what happened here? They don't care about the people they lead. They're, uh, they're loading them up with burdens. They're not willing to help them. The, the burdens, uh, scholars explain, are the extra-biblical traditions and rituals and all the things that they need to do to, to stay right with God. And it's following God for the people that they're leading has become exhausting. 
It's like, we can't do this. And these leaders are not there helping them in the process, but rather they're just piling up more duties, more to-dos, more responsibilities, loading these people down. You say, how did they get here? Hurting the very people that they should be helping. We know that these, these... uh, this group, they know the great commandment, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the way that we do that is loving the people around us. So th- they know this. They could quote the Shema and quote the, uh, the, much of the law, but somewhere along the way they've lost sight of loving God by loving people, and they've become focused on something else. Something else is taking that, that uh, at their attention, that that uh, passion and, and pursuit. And the question is, what is that? Like, this is a symptom of what? 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 What's going on? I was, a quote that I have in my leadership axioms that one day just hit me in terms of, of leader, any form of leadership. This was a business, in the business world it happens, but church world as well. But it's this, the day we stop losing sleep over the success of our business and start losing sleep over the success of our customer is the day we begin to grow. It happens in the business world. It can happen in the church world. And how much more damaging in the religious sphere? When the focus shifts from helping the person next to us, one life at a time, come alive in Christ, lift their burdens, help them follow him, and it becomes, um, the focus becomes about something else. You pick whatever that may be. I, I know... I love doing the, uh, in our faith, our uh, new member meetings and getting to know those guys, bringing into our church family and to hear their faith stories. But this past week, there were uh, two weeks, there were several. Every person that we talked to, um, there was a church hurt in their past. It was often right here. The, it was the uh, duplicity or, or hypocrisy. Um, seeing, you know, somebody put on a face when they come to church, but then in reality, selective obedience, really living it out. But then also in, from the leadership of the church, and, and it hurts to hear this, and I hope, pray, and that our church is not doing that. I, I know we're not perfect, and if there are ways that, that you're ever hurt by leadership or whatever, please confront us and um, let us know. But our desire is not to do that, but what, I think in church world, we, we can... Rather than focusing on the individual, all of a sudden it can start to become about facilities, you know, a building expansion and then paying for that building expansion and, and no thought to, okay, how's this going to affect the lives of, of our people and, and do good for them? Uh, programs, you know, and let's do this program and the focus on bigger and better and success slips into church and it's like, okay, our volunteers are dying here, they're they're sacrificing their family, their, how does it go there? And and perhaps it's just in a discipleship realm where you just feel like you're being dumped on every week. You just can't do enough. And maybe it's a parenting thing or, or, you know, and you walk out of that place rather than being encouraged and lifted, you're like, man, I'm a loser and I, I just can't do enough. And you feel shamed and guilted and, and the focus, how how do we get there? What's going on? Here God is calling out spiritual abuse, using people rather than serving them. And it's a serious accusation that leaves us asking, could this happen to me? And in terms of, could I be guilty of this? 
Which brings us to the diagnosis where, where the Lord says, okay, this is what's going on in the heart. And we see this in verse 5. What's happening? Where is the focus of, uh, of these religious leaders? He says, everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. So the phylacteries were, they would uh, put a box, a leather, little leather box on their forehead, tied around, and on their wrist and stuff it with scripture. So these guys would make theirs extra big. And the tassels on their garments were to remind them, four tassels were to remind them to keep God's law. But they made their tassels especially long. It says they love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. The, uh, the place of honor was to the right, to the left of the, the host. And then there was a, a place for the religious leaders to sit. I was remembering back in the day we had thrones up on the, the stage in our, our churches. And uh, the, uh, thankfully we've gotten rid of those. But uh, it says they, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. And so what's the, the diagnosis? It's pride, self-promotion. Everything you do is for people to see. And so what happened to these guys? Think about, well, man, what's going on in their hearts? And the reality is somewhere along the way, it ceased to become, it ceased to be about God and, and helping others, and it became about themselves. And it's a scary thought, isn't it? I, we, I know I feel it in my own heart, and it's a, a temptation we face, but to think that even our relationship with God becomes a means of self-promotion, a, a means of gaining human praise, respect, and approval. It's no longer about pleasing Him and just living for His glory, but rather, how's this going to make me look to the people around me? Seeking to be impressive and it's interesting, as they seek to be impressive to others, they become offensive to God and hurtful to the people around them. The phrase that I think is just central in this text, if there's one phrase that the Lord wants us to hear and, and apply, is everything they do is done for people to see. Which brings us back to the question, could this happen to me? Is this something that, that I could struggle with, and the sobering answer is, oh yeah, and we feel it, don't we? This is our fight, our daily battle, our temptation. How much of what we do, and even what we do for the Lord, our relationship with Him, is for other people to see, you know? Think about even as we pray, and I'm often convicted of this, I'll be praying in a, a group, and then all of a sudden I'm like, am I even talking to the Lord? Like I'm more worried about what this or that person thinks and uh, it's so slippery. Everything they do is done for people to see. So the question becomes then, if this is something we face, we battle, we struggle with, what's, is there a treatment to this? Or what's the path to health? How do we deal with this? And the good news that Jesus gives us is he turns to his disciples, to us, and he says, okay, here's the path. Here's the treatment for this disease or for the pride within us and, and as we battle it. He says it, verse eight, 8 and following, he says, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher. You might circle the word one. 
And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. So, and the word father here, he's not speaking of our earthly father, but rather they would use this term in the religious setting. It was like the the highest of religious uh, titles that you could give someone, my spiritual father. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. And then he brings the truth right here. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so what's the treatment for uh, the pride within? And it's simply this. Look up, look up, look up, live for his approval, and then lift burdens, practice sacrificial humility, or or practice uh, humble service. In verses 8 to 10, the word that hits like a drumbeat is one, one, one. What's the, the Lord doing here? He, he, right before it says, okay, the, the Pharisees, what do they care about? It's me, 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 and it's my name, my name, my name. And he's, um, and he's saying, all right, for you, let your focus be one, singular, and that is we have one teacher, we have one rabbi, we have one Lord, and, and lock in on pleasing him rather than worrying about gaining the approval of those around us. Here our Lord is calling us to look up, to live for his approval. But then in verses 11 and 12, he maps the path to true greatness, where he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so true greatness is found in humbling ourselves, looking around and saying, okay, who, can I, who has a burden that I can lift? And uh, I'm not worried about lifting myself up, worried about my name, worried about what other people think. What I'm worried about is helping you and whatever it is that's weighing you down. I'm not here to be impressive, but I'm here to be helpful. So as we come to this text, guys, I think the gift of the text is a diagnostic question to ask ourselves daily and throughout the day. Why am I doing this really? Or am I doing this to be seen by others? That, that phrase, everything they do is to be seen uh, by others, to, to turn that into a, a phrase that will bring healing. Am I doing this for people to see? Is this about me? Is this about my image? And when the answer is yes, this was for others to see, that's the point of healing, where God's going to work on our pride. And, and it's, it's a, a, a point where it's like that power washer. And all right, the minute we say yes, I'm like, okay, I was doing this for others to see. That's where we take this truth, we apply it, we confess our sin. Father, forgive me for this. And let this, and we look up and lift burdens, look up and lift burdens. Lord, let this be for you alone. Change my heart in this and just give me this um, desire to just live for you alone and care less about the approval of others. And then help me focus not on the approval of others, but lifting the burdens of those around me. Isn't that a, a neat picture and a gift out, coming out of this? The diagnostic question, am I doing this for people to see? And when we have to say yes, then we, we respond with look up, lift burdens, look up, lift burdens, look up, lift burdens. So I was thinking, imagine a day um, lived like this or stepping into this way of life, living you know, throughout the rest of today, waking up tomorrow and being able to actually Live just looking up for his approval alone. And you are free from the approval of others. And your total focus is lifting up or lifting burdens 
so that when you enter into, you know, connecting with people, you're thinking, hey, is there something about them that's weighing them down? And I just want to be that strength under their wings and lift them up. Can you feel the, I, I was struggling to describe just the, I, the, I, the word that came to my mind was the rightness of this, the shalom of this, the, like, this is how we were meant to live. And then it occurred to me, this is exactly how the one who's giving us this instruction lived his life. Pride-free, the beauty of a pride-free life. You go back up to the symptoms and um, the duplicity of life, and Jesus was authentic to his core as he lived. And then his, uh, he didn't come to put burdens on us. He came to lift our burdens, to lead us into life. And remember, we'll get to Matthew 11, 28, or uh, 12, but where he says, you know, um, all, the, all you who are weary and burdened, under the weight of the current religious system, come to me. And uh, for I'm gentle, humble of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. But he came to lift our burdens. And then how did he live in, in terms of uh, what fueled him? And it was to please the Father. He's always looking up, um, seeking to, to live for the audi- his Father, his audience of one. It's a beautiful life. And just love the, the picture of this. And so the action step for us today, look, look up, lift burdens, look up, lift burdens. But I thought... Just walk us through about five questions on application. How do we apply this to our lives? And these are ones you can talk about in a small group or think through in your own uh, daily meeting with God and encourage you to just consider some of these. First one is, how do we create a culture where pride struggles to grow? So a, a uh, ecosystem where pride just keeps wilting <laughs> in our soul and thinking about as a church family. Or uh, you can think about your own family or friend groups. The, uh, it's interesting, Jesus in this text says, drop the titles. Don't call each other rabbi, father. Now, does, does he mean this like literally? And most scholars feel he's giving us, really he's going after the heart. This is one example. But I think at times this, this is good. One of the things we've tried to do as a church family is... Um, not emphasize titles, and we're as even we're, you know the pastor the could be the no it's like I'm a brother with you first we're brothers, and that's what he says here you know you have one rabbi the rest of you you're brothers we all sit we there is no elevation here um, we are all one but, but how do we create a culture where that's where the Pharisee in me is uncomfortable second. Are there some areas in my life where I'm preaching, but I'm not practicing? Pockets of hypocrisy, blind spots. Third question, do people that I'm doing life with or leading feel oppressed, burdened, weighed down, or do they feel helped? It's my presence with them, and as I even help them in their faith journey, am I an oppressive presence is like piling on or or am I actually a life-giving presence to them for when does a concern for our reputation go from healthy to image idolatry so as we balance scripture we know we are to be concerned about our reputation a healthy reputation is a good thing we are social beings does God is God just calling us to be social socially weird and answers no maybe i mean the prophets these guys were called into a a, really a weirdness and they had to live with that and if that's 
your calling, go for it. <laughs> but for most of us, we're called to be winsome. Um, we're called to build, be able to build bridges of respect with, with those who are not followers of Christ. And, and so, um, in fact, one of the, quali- the qualifications of a pastor or an elder is a good reputation with outsiders. And so, we are to be socially aware, but at what point does social awareness and a healthy reputation move to image idolatry, where everything I'm doing is for people to see, and it's causing me to, to not love the people around me? Then fifth, where are you most susceptible of what others think? So when you go into what environment do you... You go in there, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, I've just got it. And it it can cause you to change from looking for his approval to start looking for the approval of those around you. Where's your weak spot? And it's encouraging to put up some, or helpful to put up some guardrails around that. Or people, hey, pray for me when I go into this environment. Man, picture high school. You guys are like Daniel in the uh, Babylon in many ways as you go into that. But... um, Back to the question, what happened to these guys? How did they miss God when he shows up in their life? And the the answer today, it was pride manifesting itself in a desire to look good in the eyes of others. Rather than living for his approval alone, they were living for the approval of others. And as they seek to be impressive to others, they become offensive to God and hurtful to the people around them. So is there hope as we come to this text? And it's like, oh yeah, and our Lord... This gives us this uh, precious truth, this treatment that uh, he calls us to look up, live for the audience of one. There is one that we're to be locked in on, and then to lift burdens, to practice humble service. And so the igniting vision as we come out of this text, and I, I hope you feel it, is what if we live a day? Just take a day and say, Lord, would you let me taste 24 hours pride-free, you know, and, and go chase that, that today I would live for your glory. Live looking up. Live seeking your approval alone. And then that uh, in those moments that you convict me, I'd be quick to confess and uh, just look up and then seek to lift up the people around me. This is God's intention for us through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't do it in our own strength, but in his power as we look to him in his word. But this is um, what he desires for us as we follow him. And so may it be, may it be. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your word to us today, it's a uh, it's hard um, truth or forceful truth, but we thank you for speaking into to the areas in our life where we feel pride at work, and just pray that you would do your work in us today. And so, I encourage you in just these moments, just uh, ask the Lord to help you as you apply this to your life. Maybe He's leading you to confess right now, just uh, verbalize that to him in your own words. Lord, our prayer today is that of David in Psalm 139, where he prays, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me way of everlasting. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us as we, 
your help power wash out the pride in our hearts. And, and so today we pray that you would just search those areas of our heart that we're blind to and, and where pride is at work and where it's become about us, you know, image maintenance and elevating ourselves rather than just seeking for your, your approval and the good of the people around us. And pray that any, if there is any offensive way in us, that you would show us that and then that you would lead us in the way of everlasting, the way of shalom, the way of peace, the way back to Eden. We look forward to the day when this will be our soul's desire and and this will actually be reality every moment of our existence. But in the meantime, grow us and shape us and make us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.